0: I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Mary Rose Martinez, Chief Information Security Officer at Marathon Petroleum Corporation, a leading integrated downstream energy company headquartered in Findlay, Ohio. The company operates the nation's largest refining system. To learn more about Marathon Petroleum, visit marathonpetroleum.com. This interview is sponsored by KnowBefore, the world's largest security awareness training and simulated phishing platform that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Before, visit knowbefore.com. Mary Rose, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Very glad to be here.
0: So Mary Rose, you're the CISO at a Fortune 50 company. Uh, You have more than 30 years of IT experience. Before we dive into the interview, maybe uh, give our audience a little bit background on yourself.
1: Certainly. So I'm originally from the Philippines. I moved to the U.S., for college and in that regard I got my undergraduate degrees in computer science and and mathematics and subsequently got master's degrees in computer science as well as in in cybersecurity. When I moved to the US my closest relatives happened to be in Houston and so as some would say Houston is the energy capital of the world. So started right off the bat in uh, oil and gas and have been in this industry. For the last 30 years and had had a great opportunity really to work in a variety of roles from software R&D to sort of all the different roles within IT, uh, even a stint in in, in marketing. Um, And now um, my latest is really in the cyber realm.
0: Wow. What a background. So we're going to have to have you come on for a separate interview. We produced a documentary and wrote a book on women in cybersecurity, and it's all about role models. So a lot of people watch, uh, you know, our podcast and they expect the technical deep dive. And there is certainly a lot of technology to cover. But I really want to talk to you today about the human side of security. Uh, specifically, employees and companies. How important is it to keep them cyber safe? How important is it to train them? And and I'm curious to know, in the context of a CISO, you have so much on your plate. There's so many technologies and and things to deal with. How important is uh, security awareness training?
1: It's vital. It is highly important. I'm glad that this is one of the questions that you've asked, actually, because we have a tendency to focus on our protective technologies. right? How do we protect our organizations? There's a lot of tools, just a lot of technologies out there to do that. They continue to evolve and they're very good and very effective at what they do. But in addition to focusing on our technology perimeter, we need to focus on protecting our human perimeter. I mean, we're all familiar with the statistics, right? The majority of breaches, have a human element associated with them. And therefore, we cannot ignore the human side of security. And as technologies and tools continue to evolve and we continue to improve our protective capabilities, if you will, we need to do the same on the human side. Our security awareness and training programs need to continue to evolve to help our employees become more cyber savvy.
0: So I'm curious for uh, CISOs and security leaders, Mary Rose, is it Any easier now, or is it more difficult to tackle this challenge training employees? On the one hand, I would think that I I would hope that you know we have employees joining companies nowadays where they've had some cyber education, they're maybe a little more savvy, you know, than previously. So so maybe that's uh, that's the good, but. Uh, the threats are getting worse. They're getting more sophisticated. There's a lot more to deal with. So is it any easier now than it was five or 10 years ago for for someone like yourself?
1: I would say to your point, right? So employees are more open to having that that, that, uh, cybersecurity training because it impacts their personal lives, right? If we think about technology and how it's permeated pretty much every aspect of our life, they're more open to learning, okay, if I take this particular cyber tip, I can apply it to my kids, to my, tell my mom about it, you know our neighbors, et cetera. And so there's some openness associated with that. But there's also the blurring of our personal and our business lives, our personal and business devices, our personal and business data. And therefore, in some regard, it is a little bit harder because they have to make that distinction. They always have to be cyber aware. And as you very well know, the threat landscape continues to change. The threat attack vectors continue to change. So uh, as an example, you know, everyone is, not everyone, but the majority of folks are getting more and more familiar with phishing, basically phishing through email. What have cyber attackers now done? You see the prevalence of smishing, basically phishing through SMS. And there is inherently cultivating or taking advantage of human behavior where we have place inherent higher trust in texts versus emails where when humans are now, oh gosh, we, you know, we, we now know how to spot a, a, a phishing email. They're not taking advantage of moving that the threat. So it is harder in the sense that it keeps moving. And we can never be complacent when it comes to, to cybersecurity training and awareness.
0: So you bring up uh, phishing. And of course, you know, this is a, a threat we've been dealing with for, you know, the past 15 years. Unfortunately, it's not getting any easier. So we need to train our employees. What, what do you think about phishing simulation? Is that important? Uh, you know, should most organizations be doing it? Is it an effective way to train uh, train people?
1: Yes, it is. But it's not stop, doesn't stop there, right? Phishing, again... If we, uh, with the statistics, we all again know that the majority of statistics, inv- uh, majority of breaches involve human element. Those same statistics then say, go on to say, that the majority of those breaches with the human element have to do with phishing. So, absolutely, it's paramount to have phishing simulation training programs within an organization. But well, we cannot stop there. The frequency with which we conduct such programs. It's a direct correlation to the efficacy of the training, as well as the level of sophistication, right? So we cannot just say we do it once or we do it at a certain level. As your organization gets better, we're not going to gain the metrics and systems. We need to increase the level of sophistication of the phishing simulations emails themselves and simulate what would happen in real life and what changes are occurring with the ones that we're seeing in real life in order to continue to ensure that our organization stays adept and more aware for what the threat landscape looks like.
0: So I read a lot about security culture but frankly it it's a tough topic it's very subjective you read different things from different people uh, you know it's not like you know technology uh, what does security culture mean to you is it important do you think most uh, CISOs subscribe to that philosophy
1: I cannot speak for other CISOs and, and whether they subscribe to it but it is a nebulous thing, to your point. It's, it's, it's not something you can necessarily measure, but it's something you essentially observe. And so when I think about culture, I think it starts with knowledge, whether in this case, that's cybersecurity awareness. So having that knowledge and, and training, and you move on from that phase to the next phase, which would be acting on that training and then being able to. So now you're consciously acting on that training. And then finally, unconsciously acting on the training where you're basically just living it. And so you go, in my mind, you go from knowing to acting to being. And when you hit that being is when you really have embedded it into the culture of an organization, of a community, or whatever the case might be. How you measure that, I hope someone had the answer and just gave it to me. I don't know how to measure that. But in my mind, that is what culture is. It's when you're already now unconsciously just living the the concepts and the precepts that you were trained on.
0: So I listened to someone like you and... It makes me feel bad for the small businesses who don't have somebody like you. Let's face it, you know, most small businesses are lucky if they have an IT leader. A lot of them don't even have that, let alone, you know, a CISO or a cybersecurity team. Uh, I know you run security at a very large enterprise, but do you have any advice for, you know, smaller and mid-sized companies where, you know, they don't have a CISO, they don't have those types of teams, but they do need to protect themselves?
1: The one thing that I've seen recently, and I really appreciate coming out of our federal government, is guidance for those types of business. That those types of business, and because of the awareness that they have, that they don't have the luxury of having a dedicated IT department or a dedicated CISO, and so they take what is. You know, all you know, five domains that we know about around this, so all the multiple things and controls that anybody could potentially do to protect themselves and boil it down to some of the basic blocking and tackling. So I would encourage the SMVs, the small and the small and mid-sized businesses, to look to some of the guidance that CISA has put out to so the cybersecurity infrastructure and security agency, having put out some of those guidances where they boil down what is you know ideal state, if you will, for the enterprises that are required or are able to handle it down to what um, basic blocking and tackling for them. I would take that guidance though, and couple it with looking at, and, and I'm gonna go into cyber terms, looking at your threat profile and looking at your threat um, tolerance, right? So basically as, as an organization, you wanna know, okay, who, are, who am I subje- subject to? So like, that's your threat profile. And then how much of a risk am I willing to take? So you have to take the guidances out there and then balance that With your risk appetite and your threat profile.
0: You know, at some level, it it amazes me that, you know, we even have conversations like this. I mean, we're researchers. I've been in this industry for a long time, and yet it's hard to really get my arms around how great this threat is. Uh, You know, if I go back a couple of decades ago, I never could have imagined that we'd be in a place where cybercrime is costing the world eight trillion dollars i mean that's just an enormous figure and if it's forgetting about the the actual number it's just a lot of harm. It's a lot of damage. We didn't have the word cybersecurity years ago. Uh, You know, we used to bake security into systems, you know, as best we could. Do you think that we're going to get to a better place? um, Or do you think that this is going to get worse before it gets better? Or is this just the nature of systems much like, you know, street crime and other types of crimes in society.
1: That's actually what, what I akin it to at, at the end of the day. It is my, much like physical crime. So the, the the technology evolution that we've witnessed over our decades, right, the, the maturity and exponential growth and utilization of, with technolo- of the technology, unfortunately, accompanying it is the, the also growth of cyber threat. That's what opens us up as a threat vector, if you will. But yes, I do akin it to physical crime with, with some differences, right? So um, let's just there's some more challenges, if you will, in the cyber, on the cyber side. So let me just kind of draw some examples there. So if I look at, for instance, crime that, that crosses borders. So prosecution or indictments, how much, how much really does that carry weight wise when you're crossing borders? So that's some similarity with physical crime. But maybe when the cyber crime, the act of carrying out the crime itself, there might be lower barriers to entry because it's, it's computers and technology. The border that they're crossing is very porous. It's not like a physical geographical border that physically has to be crossed. It's a very porous technology border. Attribution is difficult in the cyber world. And in the case of the United States, as an example, the border, that porous border is not owned and controlled necessarily by the United States government. It's owned by public industry, by private industry, by you know, ver- variety of distributed organizations, like you said, from large to small, that is the border. And therefore that is the challenge. Another aspect as well, another major difference when it comes to this, the cybercrime versus regular crime is um, every person, if you think about it, you, me, every, every single person is a threat vector. We are an entry point into whatever organization we're a party of, whether it be you know, private organization, a nonprofit, my local community, my social media, whatever it is, whatever we're connected to, each one, a single one of us is a threat vector. And hence, the threat, I think, of cybercrime is much greater.
0: And does the CISO ever get to rest? I mean, do do you ever get to pause? You know, the other day we had somebody on with us and we were talking about chat GPT and the potential to use that in a lot of malicious ways. And it has to be something that you at least think about to, you know, get ahead of the curve. Uh, You know, any thoughts on that?
1: On chat GPT or on resting?
0: Well, (laughs) on both of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... It does require much, I, I would imagine, much like um, much like uh, for law enforcement or, or the military or any of those other, uh, many other professions. There's a certain type of person required to be in this particular role. And, and one of them is the ability to understand and adapt to the changing, the constant changing threat and threat landscape um, and really be up for that challenge. And not let it consume the rest of you. I mean, there's just it's it's a balance, I think, and and, and, uh, and some people are meant to be, you know, have different roles and, and it's it's one of those that, that's required of this role because we can't let it consume us or, or else you, you will you will get burned. So you do have to find that 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 way to basically have that pressure valve release, if you will, and put everything in perspective.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like every time there's a problem you know you think okay this is going to get better this is going to go away like ransomware except it doesn't go away it just you know grows and it gets worse and then covid hit and suddenly we're thinking about how do we protect remote workers that's a big issue and then we think that you know covid's going to finally go away and everyone's coming back to work and now we're in this hybrid world so you know but i do, but i would like to get your thoughts on chat gpt and you know is it something that concerns you could that you know uh, present uh, you know new threats
1: I believe as human history has demonstrated, anytime we have any kind of new invention, it is created for a particular purpose, but at the same time, humans tend to use it for other purposes. So very early on to say, but that is that is really the threat, right? I mean, we are just human nature. We have that tendency as human, like I said, as regardless of what the invention is, Human history has dictated that. And that's one we definitely need to, to, to stay ahead of um, and just keep watch on. Again, us with any of these threats, that is yet another one that we that we as an organization or we as a community really need to watch on. That's actually one of the things I wanted to touch on. In terms of like hope and optimism, you talk about, you talk about all these things that, like, you know, this happened, and then we thought we're getting by it, and then another thing happens. And then but one of the things that, that does give me hope is that as a community, this is the cyber community. I told you I've been in so many roles throughout my career, but the cyber community is one which crosses borders, crosses organizations, crosses you know pub sectors, public or private. I mean, it's one that's so collaborative that that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. I mean, you know, I talk to my peers, whether they're a customer or a competitor, it doesn't matter because we're kind of all in this fight together, and that's one of the things that does give me hope. Is the the community that is striving to combat this threat.
0: Well, I double that. I feel the same way. And and again, you're a fantastic role model. We'd like to have you come back on, if you'll agree, and uh, talk about women in cybersecurity. That's a big focus for us. And uh, any other topics you'd like to touch on?
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I would love to have the conversation again.
0: I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by knowbe the world's largest security awareness training and simulated phishing platform that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about KnowBe4, visit KnowBe4.com. You can keep up with all of our media at CybercrimeMagazine.com.